Good morning, church. Happy 4th of July. Good to see all of you. Glad uh, that you're here. Man, I'm telling you, if I didn't have to work for a living, I'd come to BBS at First Baptist Enid this next week. Wow, that's some cool stuff, except for that alligator with the great big eyes. He makes me a little nervous, so I'm going to stand over to this side of the platform when I'm preaching. Uh, Did I tell you happy 4th of July? Did I do that? Good. Hey, you know what we ought to do? Uh, All of you that have served or are currently serving in our armed forces, would would you stand so that we can recognize all of you? Y'all stand up, will you please? Thank you very much. There is no doubt in my mind that one of the main reasons that we're able to gather like we are today and worship freely like we do today is because of the incredible sacrifices of men and women who have served and are serving in our armed services. And for those of you that are representing that group here today, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I know this church would join me in in honoring you and thanking you for your incredible, incredible service and sacrifice. What an amazing thing that it is. Amen? Amen. 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 You know, uh, 245 years old, is really old. Now, before before most things get that old, they tend to lose their value. Things like underwear. (laughs) Didn't see that one coming, did you? Things like hamburgers. Things like cats. Well, wait a minute. No matter how old a cat is, it doesn't have any value. So we'll just skip right over. Oh, 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 oh. Come on. Come on. Come on. Kitty, 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 kitty. Yeah. So we're going <laughs> to we're gonna change it to old things like old underwear, old hamburgers, and old goldfish. That'll work. But those old things tend to lose their value <clears throat> long before they're 245 years old. There are other things, however, that not only retain their value, but seem almost to increase in value the older they get. Now, I don't have any firsthand knowledge with my first example, so don't don't be tweeting anything or putting it on Facebook or anything like that. But I'm told that wine fits into that category, that the older it gets, the better it gets. I know from personal experience, it's true about Ford pickups. The older they get, the, the better they get. And it's, it's probably true about countries. Now, for those of you that are thinking, man, that's, a, that's, a, that's just a random number, Joe. Where'd you come up with 245? Well, it is a bit random, but it's really not. Because today, our nation is 245 years old. And some of you are going to get your calculators out on your phone and, ca- and, and check me up on that. But I think I'm right. I checked twice because I knew some of you would double-check me. And listen, at the end of the day, I realized that if I said at 245 years old, our country is getting better, that some of you would disagree with me. Some of you would vociferously disagree with me. And I understand that, and I don't mean to be offensive, but but some of you would probably even say, Joe, at at 245 years old, our, our country is really in the worst shape that we've been in our history. Listen, I I know that we have problems. I I will even agree that in many ways our country seems to be 
in, in trouble. But let me, let me just add that even with all of that, we still live in the greatest nation on the face of this earth. With all of our problems. Yeah, you can do that. With all of our problems, with all of our turmoil, with all of the stuff going on around us, this is still the greatest nation on the face of this earth. And I can't think of another nation anywhere in this world that I would rather live than in the United States of America. We are blessed people to live in this country. And we must, we must not forget that. We are blessed to be Americans. But here's, here's what I know. If there are not some significant changes that take place, it, it looks to me like we're headed for a wreck of epic proportions. So the question would have to be, is there any way, is there any possible way that we can avoid that collision? Is there, is there any possible way that, that we could get out of the way of the wreck that's coming? And listen, the answer is a resounding yes, but it's probably not the answer that you would expect from me this morning. Because this morning, what I want to do is share a part of the story of the history of Israel. And to me, it's eerie how similar the history of Israel matches where we are today. But stay with me. If you'll go on this journey with me, one of the things I'm going to show you this morning, number one, God's not done with us yet. And number two, there is hope. There is a way that we can escape the collision that it appears that we're heading for. We're going to be in the book of Ezekiel this morning. Who would have guessed that? The book of Ezekiel. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to find the book of Ezekiel. If you've got a digital Bible, you probably have already found it and you're feeling quite smug about yourself. If you have an old-fashioned paper Bible like I have, listen, the easiest way to find Ezekiel is just look in the front of it, the table of contents. There's a page number there. It is quite legal to do that. Uh, if, if you don't want to do that and the person sitting next to you has found it already, just trade Bibles and say, you think you're so smart? See if you can find it in my Bible. Um, the other way, just open your Bible in the middle. It should be in the book of Psalms. Go to the right. You'll go past the book of Proverbs. You'll get into a book called the Song of Solomon. If you're not 18 years or older, don't stop there. Keep going. Uh, there's a couple of, uh, yeah, I know what you students are going to do now. Um, you'll come across some rather long books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and, and then uh, Lamentations. And then you're going to find the book of Ezekiel. So I hope that you found it. I want to encourage you to find Ezekiel chapter 22, and we're going to read part of it together. And then I'm going to encourage you to keep your Bibles open so that you can see for yourself what it is that I want to teach you from these verses. Can we pray together? And then we'll read God's Word. Father, we are grateful for today, grateful for your great love for us. God, we thank you that you care about us and you've told us to cast our cares upon you because you care about us so much. God, I'm grateful for all these folks that have come today on this holiday. Uh, they could have been a lot of places doing a lot of things, but they chose to come here. And I pray, God, you bless them for it. And I pray, Father, that when we finish today, that all of us can truthfully and honestly say on our way out, it has been good to be in the house of the Lord. God, today I'm going to talk about some important stuff, stuff that's way too important for me to mess up. And, Father, the only way I know for me not to mess up is for you to speak through me and you just to take control of all of this and, and do what you want done and say what you want said and accomplish what you want accomplished. And Father, there's more than a few of us that want those very things. So we ask you, Father, just to move among us, to send your Holy Spirit in a great and powerful, undeniable way 
and to do the work in us that only you can do. And when we're through, we'll be just a little bit more like Jesus. It is in his sweet and beautiful and wonderful name that I pray. Amen and amen. And all the Lord's people said, Ezekiel chapter 22. We're going to pick up the story in verse 23. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained upon in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her people, the conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured human lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Verse 26. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the clean and the unclean. And they have, they have disregarded my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves, tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. And her, her, her prophets have smeared whitewash for them seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. Verse 29, The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed a robbery. They have oppressed the poor and, and the needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. And I sought for a man. I sought for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the breach or stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. When we get to this part of the story of the history of Israel, the nation is in trouble. We don't have time to talk about all of that, but I would encourage you to read the first 16 verses of this chapter. In fact, it would give you something to do perhaps while I talk about the last half of the chapter. You ought to, you ought to read that. Because listen, if you did, you would find that Jerusalem was characterized by continuous conflict, by an unwillingness to care for those who couldn't care for themselves, characterized by, by rampant sexual immorality, characterized by an out-of-control financial system, and, and, and a rejection of God's plan. Does that sound familiar? Th think about what the list that I just gave you. Constant conflict, an unwillingness to care for those who can't care for themselves, sexual immorality, an out-of-control financial system, and just a rejection of God's plan. You would think that I was reading that from the newspaper today. And yet we read it about the nation of Israel during the day of this prophet named Ezekiel. And when you get to the verses that we just read together, you, you find the root causes for those characteristics of Israel that I just shared with you. You may be surprised, but the first root cause that we find in this passage of Scripture, the first root cause that we find for all of those ails, all of those, all of those problems, the first thing that's mentioned, look, in verses 25 and 26, 
is the failure of the religious system in Israel. One of the reasons that the nation of Israel was in the shape that it was in is because the religious system had failed. Now before I go further, I want to make sure that you understand when I talk about religion, I'm not talking about Christianity. Remember, religion is a responsibility to do this and to do that so that you look better at the end of it. Christianity is not a responsibility to do Christianity is a relationship that's built on what has been done. Now, if we're not careful, we can turn Christianity into a religion, but biblical Christianity is not a religion, friend. It is a relationship based upon what Jesus did for you and me on the cross of Calvary. So when I talk about religion, I'm not talking about the way that the Bible talks about Christianity I'm talking about what we sometimes turn Christianity into and what the other world religions do. If you'll read through those verses with me, one of the things that you'll see in the failure of the religious system has to do with the prophets. Now, maybe you're familiar with this and maybe you're not, but the prophets' responsibility in the Old Testament was to represent God to the people. The prophet's responsibility in the Old Testament was to bring God to the people. The prophet's responsibility was to speak the word of God to the people of God. But did you notice as we were reading that instead of doing that, that they had turned their office into a means to take advantage of people and to get rich? There's another group of religious leaders in the religious system during the day of, of, of Ezekiel, not just the prophets, but the priest. And remember what I told you, the prophet's responsibility was to bring God to the people. The priest's responsibility was to take the people to God. The priest's responsibility was to build a relationship between the people and God. But did you notice that as, as we read, their responsibility to help people know God and have a better relationship with him failed because what they were doing is failing to distinguish between right and wrong, failing to distinguish between the moral and the immoral, failing to distinguish between the holy and the unholy. And friends, that's where Israel's problems began, a failure of the religious system. Can I just be bold and tell you that that's really where the problems in our country started as well. Some of you are old enough to remember this. Some of us would remember it from the history books. But way back in the late 60s and the early 70s, the evangelical church had a strong voice and a significant influence in our country. But later in the 70s and in, into the early 80s, the evangelical church decided that really what they ought to do is withdraw from the culture and seek sanctuary in the church. <laughs> Instead of being a force outside of the church building, evangelical Christians decided that they would withdraw and huddle up in the sanctuary, in, in, in the sanctuary, in the safety of their own church buildings. And, and what happened in, in the late 70s and the early 80s, as we did that, we turned our attention to talk about those that were not in the room with us. And we didn't talk kindly about them, nor did we speak nicely about them. 
Because we decided that we were God's chosen and we were the perfect ones. And as we huddled up in safety in our sanctuaries, we pointed fingers, sometimes self-righteous fingers, at those not in the room with us and said, there's the problem. Anytime y'all want to amen me, you just feel free. There's the problem. Uh Uh-huh. You know, when I have to beg for it, it doesn't mean as much, but I'll accept it. When we did that, listen, when we withdrew into the church, we were no longer able to be the salt and the light that Jesus called us to be. And you know what happened? We lost our influence on the direction of this country. That allowed the culture to go off into whatever they could dream up and churches were left as being irrelevant in this land. Because we decided to hide in the church and not engage the culture, we lost our influence and our relevance to the folks outside. The old mainline denominations were losing people at an alarming rate, and and they decided the, the best thing that they could do would be to look more like the culture. So they removed the morality from the Bible and said, hey, come here because we accept every lifestyle. Listen, you've you've got to do some serious damage to the Bible to accept every lifestyle. And yet some of the old mainline denominations did that and are continuing to do that today. Now, before you think I'm busting on them, let me bust on us a little bit because evangelicals took a harder line and it was about then that we became known as the fundamentalists. Do you remember? And when we were called fundamentalists, it was not not a good thing that we were being called. The culture around us was, was saying that we were fundamentalists. We, we became more known for what we opposed than what we stood for. We were the againers. We were against this and we were against that and we were quick to tell the world that we're against you and we're against this and we're against that. But what we failed to tell them is what we were for. So we became known for what we opposed. And about that time, we became characterized by flamboyant personalities in the pulpits that seemed more interested in how much money they could gather up than they were in teaching their people to be salt and light in the world around them. Boy, aren't you glad you came today? Just bear with me. It's going to get worse. My point is that the root cause of the problems in our country, the root cause lies at the feet of the church, not our government. You see, when we lost our courage, the country lost its compass. And that brings me to the second thing that we see in this passage of Scripture about Israel. Look in verse 27. We lost our courage. We became irrelevant. 
And then we read in verse 27 that her princes, the princes of Israel, the governmental leaders of of, of Israel ignored their responsibility to serve their country. And instead they focused on what they could get out of it, how they could stay in power and how they could profit. Now I'm I'm about to, to step off into some uncharted territory. I have warned you. <laughs> so if what I'm about to say next is offensive to you, the line to see me after church will begin immediately after the invitation. You come by and apologize. We'll bump knuckles and we'll be fine. <laughs> Prepare yourselves accordingly. You may want to grab hold of the pew that you're sitting in. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Regardless of your political affiliation. We are not going to get out of the mess that this country is in until our elected officials realize that the needs of this country are more important than the success of any political party. Part of what has happened is we have placed the importance and somehow the value of a political party above the importance and the value of our nation. You see, we need leaders who will serve their country without worrying about their own political gain or about their own political party agenda. We need political leaders who will stand up and make the hard call and do the right thing. So guess what happens? Guess what happens when the church fails and the government fails? The people fail. They just go off and do whatever they dream up. And they want the government, watch out now, they want the government to support it and the church to shut up about it. Look in verse 29. That, by the way, is not just the nation Israel. That's us. Now we get to the hard part. Doesn't that cheer your soul? Because you thought, Joe's already done the hard part. No, we're going to do the hard part. Here's the question. If what I have said to you (coughs) this morning is true, then it is. I've been here long enough for you to know. Whatever, it's always true, right? It's a heavy burden that I bear to always be right. But somebody's got a bear. So if what I've said this morning is true and it's right, then that has to bring up a question. And the question has to be, is there any way that we can get out of this? Is there any way that we can fix this? Is there any way that we can turn our country back to rightness and and righteousness? My answer is going to be yes. But I want you to hear this and hear me well. If we are insistent on turning this country back to rightness and righteousness, what I want you to understand is that that doesn't start with the church. Stay with me. And it doesn't even start with our political system. You say, well, Joe, if it doesn't start with the church and it doesn't start with the government, who does it start with? That is a great question. I was 
concern that no one would ask. And I'm glad you did because that will allow me to finish my sermon in the next hour, hour and a half. Amen. So where does it start? With you. It starts with, look in verse 30. Look in verse 30. And think about this. With all the problems that Israel was having, God is not looking for a dynamic church in verse 30. You see? He's not looking for a new political process. What's he doing? He's looking for a man. But notice he's not just looking for a man, but he's looking for a man who would take a stand. He was looking for someone to to stand in the breach. The, The King James says to stand in the gap. He's looking for one man who has enough courage to stand up and to do what's right. You know, God has a long history of that. If if you're familiar with the story of God that he has given us in his word, he he has always looked for a man who will stand up. I I, I would go so far as to say that that God changes a man before he changes a country, That, 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 that God uses the determination of a man to change the direction of a country. In fact, the Bible is full of examples of that. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? We, we think about people like Abraham and, and, and Noah and Moses and David and Nehemiah and Daniel and Jonah, just a few, but all of those are examples where God chose a man to change history. A man with the courage, a man with, with, with the determination to take the stand. And then we get, we get to the end of verse 30, which may be some of the saddest words in the Bible. God's looking for another man, just one. Just one man who's courageous enough to take a stand. And then at the end of the verse, God said, but I found no one. Didn't find him. And if you look at the last verse, last couple of verses of the chapter, you'll, you'll see that the scary result of that is, is judgment and destruction fell on Jerusalem. And I know you guys are just really good at asking me questions, so let me ask you one. What, what makes us think the same thing won't happen to us? Listen to me, friends. It, it, it's one thing to want churches to do better. It, it's one thing for us to want our governmental leaders to get it right. But listen, it's an entirely different thing for you as an individual to decide to stand in the gap. It's another thing entirely for you to take a stand, to take a stand for your marriage, and not just your marriage, but all marriages. It's one thing for you to to take a stand for your marriage. It's another thing for you to take a stand for the way the Bible defines marriages. It's one thing for you to take a stand for your kids. Friends, it's another thing for you to take a stand for all children. 
It's one thing for you to take a stand for the elderly in your family. It's another thing for you to take a stand for all the elderly of our nation. You see, it's one thing to care for those who are defenseless. Friend, it's another thing to be willing to defend the sanctity of human life from the womb to the grave. It's one thing for us to say we need to protect the unborn. It's another thing for us to be willing to take a stand to prove that, that at the moment of conception, that human life begins and deserves our protection, that the womb of a, of, of a mother ought to be the safest place in the world, Amen. and that we take that strong stand. You see, God's looking for that person today, that that man today who will take a stand for his community, for his county, for his state, for his country. Because at the end of the day, God, God may never change this country until he changes you. And if I can say this without being offensive, and you're thinking, Joe, that's all you've been today is offensive. Well, I'll add this to the list. Quit waiting for someone else to do it. Quit blaming the system and make a decision today to stand in the gap, to stand in the breach. Because here's what I know. If just one of you, if just one of you today would make that decision, Stand in the gap. There would be others around you that would join you. And if enough of you did it, then there would be enough other people in the city of Enid that would join you. And if enough people in the city of Enid came together to stand in the gap, there would be enough to change your county. And if enough people in your county made the decision to stand in the gap, there would be others around the state that would join you. And if enough others from around around the state would stand in the gap, there would be others in the other states that would stand in the gap. And you see, before long, the effort and the courage of one man can change this land. I am convinced of that. God's looking for one man. One man to stand in the gap. One man who will take a stand. One man who will do the hard thing. Don't you ever forget that Jesus stood in the gap for you. Jesus took a stand for you. Jesus did the hard thing for you. The question is, who are you going to do that for? Listen, we can sit around and gripe and bellyache all day long, and that ain't going to change anything. 
or we can ask the Lord to give us courage today to put strength in our legs so that we can stand in the gap for those around us. That's how God is going to change this land. One man. Ladies, you're not free from this. One man to stand. I wonder if that man is in this room today. I wonder that as we've read this scripture and talked about what the Bible says today, if God has spoken into the very heart of one of you, and in your heart of hearts, in the depths of your spirit, you are thinking to yourself, I've got to take a stand. I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to stand in the gap. I wonder if that person is here today. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Listen, don't forget that I told you that this is exactly what Jesus did for you. He stood in the gap for you. He stood in the, in the breach for you. He did for you what you desperately needed but could not do for yourself. And if you've never accepted what it is that Jesus Christ did for you, then friend, today I've got really good news. You can. You can accept what it is that Jesus has done for you. You can be saved. You can know what it means to have the Spirit of God living in you because of your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, will be saved. You want to be saved today? Simply ask Jesus to save you. That's simple. Jesus, will you save me? Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. If you just prayed that prayer for the very first time, we'd love to know about it. You can slip up your hand and say, hey, Joe, I just prayed and asked Jesus to save me. You can come forward. There are some of you that have been saved and never scripturally baptized. You ought to come forward. There are some of you that have been saved and scripturally baptized. You need to join the church. You ought to come forward. Or maybe just in the silence of the moment, maybe just in the silence of the moment, you're willing to take a stand. Right where you are, right now to take a stand. I wonder if there's anyone today without comment, without fanfare, would just simply, quietly stand. And in standing, say, you know what? I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to stand in the breach. I'm going to take a stand. We're not going to stand while we sing. We're just going to sit. Unless, unless the Lord has penetrated your heart with his truth and his call.
and you stand.